0: Welcome back to the Irish Tennis Updates podcast. My name is Adam, uh, your host. This week, I'm talking to Dave Mullins. Dave has a really great story in tennis and has some some great experiences to to share. He grew up playing junior tennis in Ireland and played to a high level. Uh, He he got to play junior Wimbledon and and the junior French Open, among other other highlights. Then, age age 18, he went to college in the US to, to Fresno University. And that was the, the start of a big, big stage in, in Dave's, Dave's life. Um, and he's, and that's where he stayed um, more or less to this day in, in the, the U.S. college system. Uh, after graduating, he uh, after a few years, he went back into, into the coaching world. And then after returning to Ireland, he, he went back to the States where he's now based in, in Arizona. Um, and he works as the, the managing director at the Intercollegiate Tennis Association. So he works very heavily in, in the the college tennis world over, over in the States. Um, I really enjoyed this chat. Uh, we, we talk about, about the work that Dave's doing these days in, in that role in, in the ITA. Um, we also touch on his time coaching in the US, and um, the, the shock to the system that he got when he when he first went over to the States as as a player and how that experience uh, compared to his time playing junior tennis in, in Ireland um he also touches on those memories growing up playing tennis in Ireland how he looks back on those days um and towards the end we touch on the positives and the negatives that Dave sees in Irish tennis today and how that compares back to to his experiences uh growing up so i really enjoyed this chat i think i, I learned a lot and i really enjoyed getting dave's perspective on things and and getting to dig into his his experiences and his his role uh, these days and what he's doing so i hope you'll find this interesting and, and enjoyable and I hope you take something from it. So without further ado here's Dave. Uh, so, so Dave firstly just thanks very much for, for chatting today it's really great to, to talk to you and, and get your thoughts.
1: Yeah it's brilliant to be on with you Adam thanks for, for thinking of me and having me on and uh, look forward to get into a great discussion with you here over the next hour or so.
0: Yeah no looking forward to it looking forward to it. Um, so just for, firstly how was kind of the lockdown I know you're, you're based in Arizona at the moment so how have the last, the last few months been for you over there? Yeah, there
1: are ups and downs like I, everybody for sure. I mean, when when COVID hit in March, I work in, in college tennis over here. The season was cancelled um, in March and it's it's been, from a work perspective, it's been crazy. I mean, I've been kind of 60 hour weeks since COVID. We kept thinking it was going to slow down, you know, your scenario planning, you're, you're uh, trying to predict the future, you're trying to gather as much information, having conversations with, you know, college presidents, uh, athletic directors. Uh, coaches, conference commissioners and and just everybody has a different take on on where things are where things are going um, and yeah i don 't see it slowing down anytime soon fortunately i I love the work that i do and and uh, i 've been working from home, which is has been uh, interesting but but spending much more time with my family than than I ever would have if uh, if things were normal so yeah, just trying to keep keep fit trying to stay out of the the fridge as much as possible because working from home there's a lot more temptations so yes, yeah. trying to strike that balance but um no overall we're extremely fortunate uh, just with our employment situations and health and and where we are and our kids health and all the rest of it so yeah, no complaints out of me
0: brilliant yeah just for anyone that doesn't know you're the, the managing director at, at the ita so is that right mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Managing Director Intercollegiate Tennis Association. So we're the, the governing body of, of college tennis in America. So we oversee NCAA Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, NAIA and junior colleges. So um, I'm happy to expand more on what yeah, we, yeah. what we yeah, do so there. Yeah, what,
0: what is exactly that you're doing on, the, on a day-to-day basis in Europe? Yeah, on a,
1: on a day-to-day basis. So I was, I was brought in initially to, to try and launch a few new projects that the ITA had had been wanting to get to for a number of years, but just it wasn't the right time. So two of the projects straight out of the gates that I was working on was, was trying to develop a... Um, A coach education platform for our our coaches. It was something that traditionally the the ITA had offered an annual uh, convention uh, out in Florida, but there was not a lot of follow-up, there was not a lot of consistent education. So um, I was uh, asked to try and come up with a system uh, to help our coaches just develop some professional development. As a college coach, there's nowhere really to go, there's not a certification process. Um, there's no uh, classes, there's no book, um, so I, I've been trying to develop a number of areas and, and uh, hopefully our, our coaches are engaging and I'm, I'm receiving some good feedback, so I'll continue at it. And the other project is, is a year of service um, initiative called Tennis for America, where we're trying to um, create an opportunity for former college tennis players to spend a year in, in a low-resourced uh, community somewhere in America uh, and help build the capacity of an organization that is is trying to fight poverty in, in that that community or in that city or town. Um, so that's mm-hmm. another thing. With COVID, was was up and down. Wasn't sure if it was going to happen, but we managed to get that launched. And uh, so far, so good. And we're we're piloting that program for three years. So I'm overseeing that. Um, but I'm I'm very involved in in all aspects of of I'm um, managing director. So kind of oversee all the different areas obviously we have membership we have awards we have coach governance uh we do rules rankings championships um you know the 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 list goes on but uh i spend most of my mornings because we're on west coast time most mornings i'm i'm on calls with with uh, individuals all around the country east coast central time and west coast as well and then the afternoon is is uh yeah, trying to get some work done, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> trying to yeah. respond to emails and try to work on various projects and, and project plans and, and keep moving things forward. But really, we're trying to, um, you know, we're trying to advocate for college tennis as well. I mean, it's a tough time for for college athletics in general, um, but trying to get college tennis on television. So we are we have a tournament coming up that's going to be in San Diego. The finals will be on ESPN live, you know, Sunday oh, yes. kind of prime time. Yes. We have another one that we're looking to do in, in November. Um, so we'll try and get our national championships uh, on television as much as possible. Um, and then, yeah, find ways just to, to advocate, have conversations with, with university presidents, athletic directors, trying to reinforce why college tennis is important and why it should remain on their campus or why they should uh, you know institute or launch a tennis team on their campus. So yeah there's no, no shortage of things with any nonprofit organization. Um, you wear many hats and and each day is a little different and that's I think where I'm at my best. if I'm doing the same thing over and over on a daily basis, I tend to get a little stale but uh, yeah. I've, i' I don't when I wake up in the morning, I don't know what's coming my way. Uh, sometimes it's good stuff, sometimes it's yeah. bad stuff but but I tend to thrive on that, so I enjoy it
0: yeah, do you have any kind of exciting project in the pipeline for the, the coming months?
1: yeah um one of the things that we're looking at right now is, is um, there's there's uh one of our constituents is the historically black uh, colleges and universities so there's a collection of of universities uh, across uh, all divisions um, and and obviously with the, the 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 issues you've probably seen on the news over there um, obviously black yeah. lives matter all the the, the social unrest and, and unease right now um we're also seeing that that there's a lack of diversity, obviously in tennis. There always has been in every country, um, not just from a racial perspective, but also gender. I mean, you know, you think about how few uh, women's coaches there are uh, coaching at, at all levels. Um, you know, not just the highest level. So, there's, there's, we're we're really because we're a smaller organization, we're maybe a little more nimble. We're you know, we don't have a huge uh, bureaucracy behind us. Um, We do have a board of directors, obviously, and we have coaches have have a lot of input. We have various operating committees, but there's, there's certain things that, that we can do that can make an impact straight away. I mean, trying to find ways to reduce costs for our historically black colleges and universities, um, trying to find ways to, to raise up our, our women's coaches, giving them the skills and tools that they need to be successful, whether it's in a job interview, you know, whether it's, uh, you know. Uh, transitioning uh, into a head coaching position or uh, finding opportunities for them to be assistant coaches or volunteer assistant coaches. But um, we need to do a better job tennis globally, I think, of, of uh, you know, encouraging a more diverse pool of individuals to be interested in tennis and stay in the tennis industry. So that's where uh, my focus, not my focus, that, that's one of the projects I'm, I'm really, um, you know, enjoying working on, yeah. excited to work on. But Um, obviously the the biggest thing adam right now is is the future of of college tennis the future of non-revenue sports the future of athletic departments in general uh, as they relate to to campuses and what is their role on college campuses in the states and and uh, so that's yeah the fighting for college tennis that's uh, i have all these other projects going on but but really it's it's how do we fight for college tennis and, and continue to make it relevant
0: um, yeah, just to jump, jump around a little bit, but um, I know you were back in Ireland before you took this role. So what was it that drew you to this role and, and brought you back to the States? Well, the, the,
1: we, we always, my wife's American and, and we always thought we'd be in Ireland for two or three years. Um, you know, Since the day we were, were married, we talked about spending some time in Ireland, working in Ireland, having our, our kids uh, be exposed to the culture there, mm-hmm. spend more time with my family. And it's something that you talk about, but you never <laughs> really, oh, yeah, we'll do it, you know, one of these days. And then you're, you know, 67 and you're like, Oh, I wish we had done that. Um, so in 2016, Fitzwilliam called out of the blue, um, basically offered me the job <laughs> and, uh, and just the timing was right. But, um, so we thought we'd be there two to three years. We ended up being there three years. We wanted to get back before our, our eldest child uh, started high school here. Okay. Um, so, I, I, I've I been looking at, at several different jobs in the States and was having interviews for, for a number of different positions. And, uh, but this one was, uh, far and above. This was the one I wanted. I, I was yes, really, yeah. um, I'm just so passionate of college tennis. I was a college tennis coach for 12 years. I was a college tennis player for four years. My coach changed my life, had a massive impact on me. And I wanted to have similar impact on, on future generations of tennis players. And now I get to, um, yeah, I, I, I was definitely gravitating towards the more administrative business side mm. of tennis. Yeah. Um, just from a coaching perspective, I wasn't sure that I, I could spend another 10 years on on the court. Um, I also wanted to travel a lot less. Um, yeah. So this, this job just, it, it literally is my dream job. I, I can't believe how lucky I am. I mean, I'm just, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Like I said, I was working 60 hours a week, but it's, I, I'd work 70 if I could. It, it just, uh, I'm just one of those fortunate people that, that gets to do what they love on a daily basis.
0: Great, right, great. And a couple of things there I want to, to pick up on. But um, you, you mentioned you, you have coached over in the States as well. So I know that after you played, you, you spent time coaching. Um, you coached in, in Northwestern in, in, in Oklahoma. So how were those experiences coaching being, I guess, from playing, then going over onto on the coaching side of things?
1: Yeah. So, well, I I had a few years in between. So I I, I graduated in December, 2001, because I started in January, 1998. So I had that one extra semester. Mm -hmm. Um, I think Mark, you had Mark Finnegan on, he was kind of explaining the eligibility of tennis players, but basically I had a semester where I couldn't compete, but I had to finish up my my degree. My degree was in business and finance. Um, And then I actually went to play professionally for about six months, uh, kind of survival. Uh, professional tennis pack the bags and go for six months and just yeah. travel from place to place and sleep on floors with three other dudes and and uh, not eat what you should be eating and all the rest of it but um, got to travel a lot got to see lots of, of the world play some tennis meet lots of, uh, of great interesting people so um, but but shortly after that once I, I finished playing tennis I actually Uh, worked on the mercantile exchange in Chicago uh, on the trading floor there uh, in the world of finance I thought that's what I wanted to get into and I couldn't have hated it anymore absolutely just like what am I doing I was waking up at 4 30 getting the train into into the city center I was out in the suburbs with my wife and absolutely miserable hated it Um, and but I, I I I'd kind of had this idea or inkling when I was in college that I wanted to be a college coach. Like I just, I was, when I went there for the first time, I was just blown away by college athletics in general. just couldn't believe that this existed coming from Ireland. It's like, really, they're putting this much money into it. And they have these facilities. It just, uh, I, I just so taken by the whole thing. And, um, my junior year, I was, I was named captain of the team and, uh, I just loved that kind of role and, and uh, you know, influencing the young players coming in. And I was kind of an extension of the coach and, uh, you know, completely bought into his philosophy. And, and I was just like, this is cool. Like, yeah. but but was kind of, you know, societal, <laughs> Pressures or parent pressures. Never thought I could go down that road. That okay, I'm you know business and finance. That's the path. Yeah. But you know, like I said, after six months of that, it's like no, this this isn't for me. I'm going to be a college coach. I'm going to give it a go. And I got an opportunity. I didn't have to move. I was in Chicago. Got an opportunity as the men's coach at DePaul University, um, and uh, absolutely loved it. They weren't paying me a lot of money. We were. Uh, my wife was pregnant with my our first child. And I had to make a decision. Am I going back to the world of finance uh, to support my family? Or am I um, going to find another opportunity? And Northwestern opened up their women's uh, assistant coaching position. I was able to make um, a, a lot of money through kind of camps and clinics and, and yeah. private lessons along with my salary. And I was like, okay, I, I, you know, we can do this. And... Um, yeah, just, just knew right away this, this was my, my role. This was why I was put on the planet kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. you I uh, found,
0: you found your, your calling. You found yeah. What you yeah,
1: to do. yeah. And I, I felt like I was, I was actually a good fit on the women's side as well. I mean, I could have gone either way, but I'm pretty laid back. I'm low key. I'm not uh, too fiery. Um, and I felt like I, I connected well with the, with the women. And, uh, um, yeah, we saw some great results by the, my last year there at Northwestern. We were the number one ranked team in the country. We were the number one team going into NCAA championships. And um, we lost in the quarterfinals. But, but uh, based on that, then I kind of had my pick of, of head coaching jobs um, and ended up at the University of Oklahoma and had eight amazing years there. And, uh, yeah, really, really happy with my college coaching career, how it went, um all the the connections all the people i've met all the relationships i have with my former players now so yeah i've just i've been so lucky to be able to follow uh the things that i i enjoy and the the interest that i have so yeah, yeah. i loved it
0: yeah well what kind of stuff do you think you learned as, as a coach over those years that you've, you've you've brought maybe into the role you have now maybe.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, obviously, with the role now, you know, a lot of the time, I have to put myself in the shoes of a college coach and the decisions that we're making. I mean, from the coach education perspective, it's relatively easy, because I can go back to when I was started my coaching career in 2004. And I didn't have anybody to ask. I didn't really have any, any help. Uh, I had nowhere to go, no book to read, no class to go to. Um, So I've been, but I learned a lot from other coaches, from other college coaches and, and, you know, started developing relationships with them. So I started a podcast as well, just to um, the ITA College Tennis Coaches podcast, just designed for college coaches. It's not like if anybody else wants to listen in, that's great, but it's, it's not designed for them. It's designed for uh, coaches to learn from one another. Uh, I've started a, a coaches masterclass as well. So I'm doing video interviews with coaches, and then I'm providing resources, links to webinars, links to um, articles, uh, links to videos from our, our coaches convention and, and putting each one under, uh, you know, a, a separate chapter. So as a college coach, you're, you're, you're not just coaching, you're, you're recruiting, you're marketing, your program, you're doing uh, things in the community you're budgeting, you know, you're, you're uh, you have to be social media savvy, you have to understand strength and conditioning, nutrition, um, you, you need to, you need to know a little bit about a lot. And, and that's good. And that's bad. But that's the reality of being a college coach. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so so from the coach education perspective, it's been relatively easy, because I know uh, what what the coaches need in that regard, and, and how how to help them. Um, So that's where I bring my experiences from from my days coaching. I think um, the other thing is just dealing with a lot of different stakeholders. Um, You know, it's it's just you learn it's impossible to keep everybody happy. Um, You know, you have to make tough decisions, whether that's with a lineup and you can only play six players, but maybe you have eight players on scholarship or 10 players on your squad. And you've had, you have to tell four players each time. It's not like a soccer team where you have you know, 22 players and you know, there's a lot of people sitting on the bench. In tennis, yeah. there's maybe one or two yeah. sitting on the bench. And so yeah. having those uh, conversations can be difficult, but also um, you know, keeping the alumni happy, keeping um, the boosters, who, who uh, boosters are, are individuals who give money to various different programs, uh, kind of um, you know, from a fundraising perspective, Um, you know are you having an impact in the community Um, uh, you know there's there's you know and then with your I guess uh, oversight you know your your immediate boss your associate athletic director your athletic director are you meeting um, you know their standards their expectations Um, so so like I said you're just pulled in in so many different directions and um, you just uh, you know and, and the other thing is just how hard you work. Uh, I mean, it's just uh, a lot of people don't, don't understand that. Like, uh, I mean, I'm saying I'm working 60 hours a week right now uh, and that's But college tennis prepared me for, for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm fortunate. I don't have to travel on the weekends. Obviously I'm doing some work on the weekends, but I mean, most seasons as a college coach, I did not take a day off from say January 3rd to say May 25th, not one day. You know, you're working every day and it's always on your mind. So um, I'm not saying that that's, that's healthier. That's good. I mean, most coaches really enjoy their job. I mean, there's pressures that come with it. You have to win. You know, I mean, that's the other difference between coaching in college and coaching in, in an Academy or or coaching a a pro player might be a little bit different. Um, You know, a lot of that depends on the relationship, but if you don't win, you're not employed. So, so there's a lot of pressure there that comes with that as well. So, it's, uh, it's not for everybody, but uh, it, it was for me for a certain part of time. And, yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm uh, glad to be out of it now.
0: Um, yeah, so to look at it from the other side, um, kind of going, working backwards a bit, um, you would have obviously gone to the States and, and uh, experienced uh, the college system first as, as a player. Um, so you must have really then connected with, with your time there and that experience and you know, seen something there that you wanted to, to stay in that world even after you, you finished playing. Is, would you say that's accurate?
1: uh for sure i mean you know um when when i started going through the process i think i knew probably age 14 15 that i wanted to go to the states Mm -hmm. um you know there was players older than me guys like tommy hamilton Stuart doyle that had gone off uh ahead of us and and we knew that was the only path i mean you know uh, my parents weren't you know they weren't saying hey you can be a pro player or you know quit quit school or anything like that i i probably wanted to but they're like look you know uh you're going to college basically and um you know if if you can get a scholarship to the states then then brilliant go ahead and do that but there's no you know internet there's no way to really research um so the the coach um uh, my coach i I was actually the assistant coach at arkansas and and coach tommy hamilton and then when he got the job at head coaching job at Fresno State, he called Tommy and said, Tommy, do you know any Irish players? Like, Oh, there's one, one decent kid, Dave Mullins, you know, you might want to look at. And and that's how I ended up at Fresno. Um, And then, yeah, my first semester was tough. I didn't really play in the lineup. I I played doubles, um, but I didn't play a whole lot in singles. I mean, it was, it was a rude awakening for me. I mean, you know, I, I came from maybe practicing one hour a day. Like, I'd go out and I'd play a set with Stephen Nugent or Connor Nyland or John Dorn or, you know, whoever, and we'd, we'd kind of muck around in River, Riverview. I, I, you know, I had good technique. I had a really good coach. I was fortunate. A lot of us were fortunate in that generation to have a guy named Francis Ross in, uh, in Riverview and David, well David Lloyd now. Um, who was really strong from a technical perspective. And, and uh, so I had good technique. I was a decent athlete, um, you know, could kind of play any sport. And, um, but the first semester was tough. And, and, you know, the coaches yelling at me and screaming at me and we're doing all this running. I'd never lifted a weight in my life. I'm in the gym and trying to learn how to bench press and do a pull-up. Um, but then by the end of my first semester, it just started clicking. And I uh, played a lot that summer back in, in Ireland, you know, the tournaments back in, you know, kind of the circuit, the Irish circuit yeah. in the summer. And then when I got back to college um, that following September, I just took off. I mean, my, my tennis just improved out of sight by by my senior year. I was ranked as high as three in doubles in the national rankings. I was about as high as 50 in singles. Um, and yeah, there I, I was just a different being I mean I'd learned how I'd learned how to work hard I'd learned how to suffer a little bit I don't think a lot of Irish play. I had no idea what it meant to suffer you know during a training session and and just how much you had to push yourself and and what I was capable of I didn't really know that I was I was capable of working as hard as I did in college so yeah it was it was a life-changing um you know uh, few years for me and um like I said, I, I wanted to have uh, a similar impact on, on future generations of tennis players.
0: So, at that stage, when you were playing, had you kind of decided that coaching was, was maybe what you, want, you kind of knew in the back of your head that you wanted to do at some stage?
1: Yeah, it was. Like I said, my, my junior, senior year, I was, I was uh, captain of, of the team. And, yeah. and uh, yeah, really, it was there in the back of my head. It was, it was a, a seed. Uh, that was uh was was blossoming a little bit yeah. but um just felt like there was there was other pressures on me to kind of move into the business world or finance world but i was able to push past that i and that's the thing i, I had zero interest in coaching in any other realm like coaching at a club or coaching an academy coaching a federation coaching like none of that interested me it was like um, yeah yeah like I'm, I'm either college coaching or i'm not coaching at all it, like there was no in-between Um, because I just, I love the idea of, uh, you know, having a team, you know, you have a team of, of certain number of players, you're developing your own philosophy, your own culture, you're recruiting the players that, that hopefully you want. And, and there is a business element to it. Like I said, you wear many hats. So, you know, there's so many different components to it that, um, just, I felt like it would keep my interest and, uh, and that I would do well in it.
0: Um, yeah, so you mentioned that kind of age fourteen, fifteen, you maybe had inklings of, of going to college. But if I told Dave, age fourteen, that Dave in twenty twenty would still be working in in tennis in the role you were now, would would you have believed that? Or would you have thought that was, you know, <laughs> that was um...
1: um Probably not because I think at that point I'd been brainwashed that I, I needed to go into the world of finance and make lots of money and uh be a millionaire. Um so <laughs> I, I'm not sure I would have Believe that. Obviously, I didn't know anything about college tennis. I knew I wanted to go play college tennis, but there was still no way to research it. Yeah, um, and then you don't really think that there's there's other jobs in the tennis industry, right? You you kind of like yeah. If I wanted to pr- pr- uh, pursue finance, or I could have maybe gone you know into accounting or something like that. I could have worked at a at a club in an administrative role. But um, so no, to answer your question, no, no. I, I would have had no, no idea.
0: No. <laughs> And just from from those junior days, then back in Ireland, I know you, you got to play some some junior grand slam so what, what kind of best memories do you have from your junior days
1: um, really it 's just the the summer months um, hanging out with a bunch of uh, messers, <laughs> and just you know playing cards all day, like being at the at the club you know if it, whatever week it was, whether it was Lansdowne. You know, Nace Nevin, You know, an ITF in Riverview. Whatever it was, it was just like getting there at eight o'clock, doing your warm up. Maybe you had a match straight away, uh, maybe you didn't. But it was just, um, it was just the friendships that were built, the uh, the laughs that we had. Um, you know, we we definitely pushed each other to get better. Um, but it was just seemed. I mean, that that was what kind of saddened me being back in Ireland the, the, the last few years was just, um, you know, it seemed to be a lot more competitive. Parents were more involved. Parents were around a lot more, you know, like I just got the dart to Lansdowne and my parents knew I was there and I'd be back at 8 PM, yeah. you know, I'd have my yeah. sandwiches packed. I'd have my, you know, a pound to, to get the dart and maybe get a can of Coke or whatever. Um, and that it was just amazing. I mean, I just had the most idyllic uh, childhood you could possibly imagine. Um, I'm not blaming. It's just, I can see it now with my own kids. Everything's just more organized. It's more structured. Yeah. You know, my kid's are a high level soccer player and, you know, we're driving them here, there and everywhere. And it's just, you know, at this time, you know, here's the session. There's always a coach around. There's always a parent around. Um, so that that's what I miss. And I know those days are gone, but man, I wish they were back for for future generations
0: yeah and just on that which grand slams or slams did did you get to play yeah
1: so i played qualifying a french open and i played main draw of wimbledon um so yeah i mean those were i i wasn't mature enough to appreciate those experiences you know you're you're so um uh you're so i don't know caught up in the moment you've you know you're feeling this pressure um you know, you've, you've lots of different things coming at you. You know, I wasn't prepared. I wasn't prepared. I hadn't traveled enough. Hadn't really played enough. Like I said, I hadn't worked hard enough. I don't know that I really earned those positions. I mean, I I obviously did, but um, you know, it's just, I look back and just, man, I was so unprepared for, for those occasions. And, and so um, great experiences, but, but honestly the, the best days were, were, were the junior tournaments and exactly. even the adult tournaments, even as a junior, um, they're, they're just you know, I was so fortunate to have guys like Scott Barron, you know, uh, um, uh, Owen Casey ahead of me that I was able to look up to and uh hit with, and, and then guys closer to my age, Robert Collins, um, um, you know, John Dorn, uh, you know, I'm missing names here, but then guys younger than me, like Stephen Nugent, Connor Nile and Stephen Taylor, Connor Taylor james Calhoun like it was just like this ten year um grouping where we were all just helping each other and, and uh uh nobody was any better than anybody else if you were you'd get dragged dragged yeah. back to <laughs> as you all well know in Ireland, which I love um but uh yeah it was it was really just th- th- those times that I, I look back on it's It's nice to have Wimbledon on your resume and all the rest of it, but um you know yeah. I don't know it's it's not as the, the be-all and end-all as people would think
0: hmm. yeah and um, just to, you've mentioned a few points about kind of Irish tennis and maybe the culture we have over here and um, so I know that you know obviously in that world you're you're very involved and um, even though you're, you're based in the States you're on the board of directors in in tennis Ireland and obviously you've been in in tennis in, in Ireland for you know it's obviously since you were a junior so what kind of cult- you mentioned a couple there but what kind of culture changes do you think you've seen or how do you think the culture is over here um, it, it's, I don't think it's particularly healthy, you know,
1: I mean, if you're just talking about the, the tennis kind of, um, community in general, it's, it's, it's really sad, you know, there, there's a lot of kind of, uh, you know, if you take the coaches perspective, you know, you've got coaches who didn't play at a high level, who will then speak poorly about the players who, who are co- who did play at a high level. Mm-hmm. Uh, and are coaching now well they're not proper coaches they're they're they just played at a high level and then you've got those those players that played at a high level our coach and they're going well this guy or this woman never played at a high level what what does he or she know and then you've got uh you know let's <laughs> say myself and and mark finnegan who are college coaches and they were just college coaches what what do they know um and it's just like wh- there's a lot of infighting there's a lot of you know uh, one upping each other there's a lot of silos that are created and it's like we're a tiny country like we're we're just tiny you know i mean we're we're not as big as you know most states over here yeah, yeah. in america and it's and then you've got the provincial uh you know kind of uh, uh competition uh I'm not saying competition on the court but you know this 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 province wants to be better than that province and you know it's just like again the why do we have a provincial setup we're tiny you know why you know, why do we have to have a kind of governing body of, of each province um and so the the governance system seems quite antiquated and outdated and, and made sense at one time when there wasn't the technology that we have now from an accounting perspective or yeah you know uh zoom or whatever it is um so the, there's there's a lot of things there that are, are sad to see, uh, unnecessary, um, you know, even social media, see stuff on social media and people creating accounts and, and you know, pretending to be somebody else. And it's just like, what well, what are we doing? So from from that regard, it's, it's really sad to see. I'm not saying it's all, all negative by any means. I think there's lots of positives that I saw when I was back there as well, you know, it was really... Really fun to see. I mean, facilities have been a big thing for the longest time. The court surfaces, I I forgot how much (laughs) I hated artificial grass (laughs) until I went back and started playing uh, there again. But, you know, to see Sutton putting in uh, courts, Ellen Park, Bushy Park, uh, Nace, um, you know, there's uh, there's things that I'm missing. My own club, Shankill Tennis Club, when I moved back in 2016, they just opened the brand new indoor center, three plexi-paved courts. So to see those kind of things are brilliant, you know, there's, uh, there was at the time in 2016, it seemed like nobody knew what UTR was. Um, you know, with the WTN coming on, nobody seemed to know what that was. I think, uh, uh, you know, somebody like Mark Carpenter was really helpful in, in educating people myself, Mark Finnegan. Um, and now Ireland was, was one of the pilot projects, uh, for, for the WTN. Um, so I think that's going to make a big difference going forward. I think you know the competition structure. I mean, again, to go go home in 2016. And I've said how much I love those tournaments in the summer. But it was the same. You know, it was the same structure that we had in 1995. You know, a bunch of tournaments condensed from May to May to to August. Say, you know, once Fitzwilliam ended, um, and and we squeeze all the tournaments in there. They're week long. You get one match. You know, if you lose in the first round, oh and oh, you're done. Yeah. Uh, and, and it was no we, we can't keep doing that so so you know there there's um you know tennis Ireland brought on James Cooney who's who's in that world now he's trying to extend our our tournament's calendar so there's year-round play for our players so there's things there that that are, are definitely going in the right right uh direction but um but overall I, I just wish that that Irish tennis coaches Irish administrators volunteers uh clubs that that we could all just come together and, and uh, I don't know, I, I don't know that we need to make it as difficult as, as we seem to be at times. So,
0: yeah. And you mentioned earlier kind of when you were growing up and you were playing, there was that culture of maybe, you know, a few people older than you, younger than you, your age that really, you know, we competitive, would have pushed each other, that kind of thing. Is that something you, you see these days?
1: Um, I, I, you know, I think that was very much a moment in time. Um, you know, Riverview was a, a just, uh, Scott Byron's father was, was one of the owners, um, and he kind of gave us free reign. I mean, we could hop on a court at any time. Um, you know, we didn't have to pay a whole lot. Um, you know, I, I, with child protection these days, I think it's harder to, to recreate something like that. I mean, I think, you know, Fitzwilliam is a good gathering point for for some of our, our better players. Um, you know, and there's different generations of players there, and they have the Invited Junior Programme. Um, so you do see players interacting there and younger players playing with older players. Um, but it's, it's, how do we have that happen all across the country? I mean, that, that's my concern. I mean, even, you know, the clay courts that I mentioned or the artificial clay courts I mentioned, you know, other than NACE, they're all Dublin centric. Um, yeah. You know, most of our indoor courts are, are Dublin centric. And it's like, unless this starts happening all over the country, you know, Irish tennis will just remain the same as, as it always has. It's, it's no, Better, it's no worse than it has been for the last 30 years. It just it is what it is. I mean, some people think it's worse than it's ever been. You know, a small minority think it's better. Um, but most people, like myself, it's no, it's it's no better. It's no worse. It's, you know, we always have a handful of good players, you know, some promising pros. Traditionally, we've had, you know, probably one male player who's top 250 in the world or top 200 playing in those Grand Slams, whether it was Owen Casey, Scott Barron, Peter Clark, Connor Island. James McGee, I think then James passed the torch, maybe to Sam Barry, who was around that ranking. Um, you know, Sam's passed that on to Simon. Simon's, uh, you know, gonna get there, but you know, right now he's, he's around 500 or so, but but with COVID obviously that slowed down, but in the next couple of years, he'll be there. Um, but, you know, we've always had some, some decent players and, and uh, um, until we kind of fix the foundations of, 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 you know, the tournament structure fix the foundations of, of having facilities all over the country, uh, change the court surfaces. Uh, it doesn't, I, I don't think it really matters what we, what we do. We can have, you know, the, the other bright spot, spot as well is, is I think the coaches have got much better. I mean, there's, there's great coaches all over the country now. Um, I, I don't necessarily uh, like the infighting that, that tends to happen, but, but, um, the, the quality of their coach education is much better. Um, yeah. You know, and they're spread all over the country, but, but now the facilities now need to catch up and the, the competition structures need to catch up. And I think the WTN will help with that a lot as well. I mean, we, we have such a small pool of players. We need the 12 year old girl playing the 47 year old man uh, because they have the same rating rather than having the 12 year old girl play the 12 year old girl every week and, um, you know, the same girl winning each time by the yeah. same score line. Uh, we 've got to move away from that, so I think we 're getting there. I mean nothing happens overnight. I mean, everybody you know wants results now, and they want a top one hundred player and um, it's you know, nobody knows how to create a top one hundred player if that was the case, the same players would be coming out of yeah, yeah. of the same coaches and the same academies in the same town year on year, so nobody really knows what those is a collection of so many variables, but without a strong foundation it's, it's, it's not going to, it's, it's going to be an even bigger challenge.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Obviously you have a lot of experience in, in the States in that tennis world. Do you think there's anything uh, specific we can, we can take, we can learn from, from the States and, and bring here?
1: Yeah, it's look, there's, there's so much money here in America. Um, and, and that's, you know, and, and that's what really hurts. I think sports in America right now, because uh, you're, you're, losing so many of of uh, you know maybe your better athletes because it's only the 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 kids that can afford to play that are playing and that's i'm seeing that in in soccer with my son's soccer uh i mean he was playing at saint joey's there in sally uh and i think we paid something like 500 euro for the year for all his kid all his matches you know drove him to different places around the country but um here we we probably spent uh um, i don't know Twenty times that uh, uh, last year. I mean, it's just a different deal, unfortunately. Um, so we definitely are in Ireland. You know, it's expensive there too. Tennis is an expensive sport, and I think a lot of people spend time on. Well, we've got to reduce costs. We've got to make it cheaper. It's like, yeah, we do, but the nature of the sport, just like the nature of say golf, it's an individual sport. So you don't have the numbers like with soccer. You've got more people in a the team. They can travel together. Um, you know, the equipment is less, you know, it, it's just tennis and golf. Individual sports are just expensive by nature. But, you know, I spent um, I spent a week earlier this year at the at the National uh, High Performance Center in, in Orlando. Um, and, you know, you see their setup. and it's I mean, Adam, it's out of this world. I mean, the clay courts, the hard courts, the indoor courts, the gym. Yeah uh the the people that they have there the sports psychologists you know the sports science side of things and it's but they have a us open that produces 300 million dollars a year they're able to invest in that i mean yeah. you know people want to say hey we should give you know uh you know this amount of money to this player and this amount of money there like tennis ireland ireland doesn't have any money to invest unfortunately i mean yeah. it's it's just trying to keep its head above water um so but I mean, the one thing that I would, I would, I would say and, and see is just the number of hours that players are playing. I, I think in Ireland, I just don't think they're playing enough hours. I mean, I think probably our, our better players traditionally have always been late bloomers. Um, you know, they've either gone through the college system or they've gone pro but have taken several years. You know, they haven't been maybe quick to get out of, say, the 10K, 15K level. Um, it's taken them a few years to get there. Um, but, you know, so, so in, a, in one way, when they reach 18, like myself, you know, I, hadn't, I was underdeveloped. I hadn't played a whole lot. But then when I started playing a huge amount, my, my game took off and I became more of a late bloomer. Um, and, and that's probably the world we're in for, for at least the next several years until we're able to create, you know, recreate kind of a, a national training center, which, which Gary Cahill had, had done. Uh, but unfortunately we're not able to fix all the foundational issues that are broken and have a training center and a national coach at the same time. It's, it's kind of one or the other. Uh, and um, so, you know, I, I would encourage players uh, in, in Ireland to, to to figure out how are they going to get more hours under their belt? And, and is that getting up first thing in the morning? Um, most sports do that, you know, uh, you know, they're up early before school, you know, you take swimming, which is an individual sport. Most of them are up at five o'clock and doing yeah. two hours of training yeah. before they even get to school. And that's probably the culture that's probably going to have to exist in, in Ireland and, and how you do that. You do that, you know, at a number of schools. I mean, I, I went to BlackRock College till I was, uh, um, till my, my after my junior cert. Um, and and there was some really good players there you know and and is there a way to maybe build indoor courts at say a blackrock college or at schools all across the country and and you know you have a a high school coach there but also they're able to do clinics and lessons and you know have memberships and things like that but they have you know early morning sessions and afternoon sessions but i think our our uh, you know weekend play as well Um, you know, our players need to compete a lot more at the weekend. I mean, that's how it's set up here. I mean, there's a lot of tournaments Friday, Saturday, Sunday in in Ireland. It seems to be that we do a lot of, you know, we, we train a lot. Uh, we, 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 our, our players look good. Technically, they look good on the court when you watch them hit. Um, and I went, I played against them, you know, so I, I was, I was, you know, by Irish standards, I'm a good player internationally. I'm very average. Yeah. Uh, but but when I went back there, I mean, age 37, 38, 39, I'm beating up badly on our junior players. Um, and and I, I don't think that should be the case. Uh, I think I should annoy them. I think I should make it difficult for them. But I don't think I should be beating them. And I don't think I should be beating them badly. Um, so it's it's how do we get our players training putting more hours on the court from Monday to Thursday, and how are they competing every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday? Um, I mean, that, that's going to be the key. So I'd encourage everybody to look at their schedules. Are they doing enough hours, and are they playing enough matches?
0: I know it's really interesting stuff. I think there's some, some great points there about, especially the more competing, more more, more training, that kind of thing. Um, but before I can let you go, Dave, I want to do a quick, uh, quick fire round So I'll ask. So quick, quick, quick questions, quick answers. I'll get through a few uh, before I let you go. Okay. Ready? Fire away. Yeah. All right. Uh, Favorite shot.
1: Uh, Inside out forehand.
0: Favorite surface.
1: Uh, Hard court.
0: Uh, Favorite tournament.
1: To play or watch? Uh, Up to you. Uh, Favorite tournament to watch is U.S. Open night matches.
0: Yeah. Uh, Favorite player.
1: uh, Roger Fider. Uh
0: Short juice or long juice? Uh, short juice. Love the pressure. Uh, yeah. Play let, yes or no?
1: Yes, definitely.
0: Uh, college tennis or pro tennis?
1: College tennis, not even close. <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> advice, advice for juniors. This gives me a little bit less quick. Uh,
1: advice for juniors. Uh, well, I think I, I gave some in terms of, of the hours, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, finding competitive opportunities. Uh, understanding that there's always you think you're working hard I guarantee you you're not you can work so much harder you can put in more time you can sacrifice more if, if that's what your goal is yeah if you really want to be a top player you're gonna to have to learn to suffer you're gonna to have to learn to put in the hours you're gonna to have to learn to do things when you don't want to do them um, I'd also say be really open to learning like just just open yourself up to everything even if you're your mother or your father, you know, you can beat them six love, six love, and they know nothing about it. They have some life experience that they can maybe share with you and take it for what it's worth. You know, take the good, try and implement it. Um, you know, everything that's out there from nutrition to, um, you know, uh, strength uh, training to conditioning, you know, take, take everything. Keep experimenting on yourself, you know, uh, mental training. You know, don't just, uh, meditate one time or visualize one time. Say, oh, that's crap. That didn't work. You know, try it for a year, you know, start slowly, start with five minutes a day, build up over time and then make a judgment on it after a year. Um, don't be so quick to dismiss it. But, uh, if, if you want to compete with the highest level, I can tell you, I've traveled all over the world. I've, I've been evaluating players as a college coach. I mean, uh, I've probably watched more, uh, matches i've probably evaluated more matches than any other irish coach out there because it's just the nature of being a college coach mark finnegan will tell you the same thing and um you know it's 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 learning how to compete compete your ass off i mean yes you can have the nicest strokes in the world and technically you can be very sound but what are you doing when it's when it's five all in the third set you know what are you doing when you've won the first set 6-1 and you know you're playing against a good player and they're making a comeback in the second set um so there's a lot there that wasn't a quick answer yeah, from yeah. i know
0: perfect really good uh, and finally your favorite thing about tennis um you know competition
1: i mean i i didn't compete for for 10 12 years i mean i coached obviously while i was a college coach but i wasn't competing at all i didn't play any tournaments I stayed in decent shape and I hit with my players but when I came back to Ireland and uh, you know there's the leagues there's the the veterans tournaments there's the open tournaments I mean just to to go back and compete and uh, feel the nerves a little bit yeah. and I mean I just I love I just love that competition I just love the way it makes you feel I love the way it takes you out of the the moment you know there's nothing else you're thinking about other than trying to win that match um, and uh, it hold, held me accountable to staying healthy as well if I was yeah. to, to play with the young lads I had to do my rolling and, and uh, massage and stretch and eat well and all the rest of it so um, yeah, definitely the competition I just, uh, I love it
0: Brilliant, yeah, brilliant um, I think Dave, I think we'll leave it there I really appreciate the time and, and um, I really find it really interesting to go through through your role now and, and stuff on Irish tennis as well I really appreciate the time
1: yeah, well, thank you, Adam. Thanks for, for shining a light on Irish tennis. I know you're, uh, you're doing this as a, as a, you know, kind of a passion and, and a hobby. And um, like I said, I love your Twitter feed. It keeps me engaged with, with Irish tennis on a daily basis rather than, you know, oh, I better check on somebody's results on, on a Sunday afternoon. So, um, yeah, please, the more people we have like you just doing little things like this, um, you know, all around the country and bringing the Irish tennis community closer together, you're, you're doing a bigger service than, than maybe you think. So keep at it. And, um, yeah, happy to, to come on the show anytime or give updates on college tennis or Irish college players or whatever it is. So please keep in touch. Thanks. Yeah. I appreciate it.
0: Big thanks once again to Dave Mullins for his time and for, for sharing with me his, his experiences, his, his thoughts, his perspectives. Um, I really, really appreciate it. Big thank you, Uh, for listening to this episode of the Irish Tennis Updates podcast. If you enjoyed it, please consider subscribing, uh, leaving a comment, uh, a review, and and, and sharing the podcast to anyone that you think might uh, also find it interesting or or take something from it. Until next week, I've been Adam. Goodbye.